Welcome to VSI, Variation Selection Inheritance, a podcast production of the National Science Foundation's Beacon Center for the Study of Evolution in Action. I'm Randall Hayes. Summer's pretty much over, so I'm back to being a teacher rather than a student. I sat through a week-long course on mathematical epidemiology this summer. It was a helpful reminder that giving lectures is usually more fun than receiving them. You get to laugh at your own jokes, for one thing. For another, you can get so wrapped up in what you're saying that you don't even notice how many people are not listening to you. As part of my effort to stay engaged with material that was clearly a little over my head mathematically, I kept a count of who else was not paying attention. It was generally around 50%, and some of those were professionals who had paid to be there. How did we get to this place? What led us to embrace a method of education that so underserves so many people. Can we identify the causes even? Quick analogy. There were probably lots of keyboard arrangements around when the typewriter was first invented. We standardized on the QWERTY arrangement precisely because it was clumsy. It slowed down the typist's fingers so that the typewriter keys would jam less often and you wouldn't have to waste even more time unjamming them. Now it's a standard, so everyone continues to be trained that way, even though the original problem, jamming keys, is a thing of the past. The thing I hear people blame most often for our factory-style education system is the Industrial Revolution, which turned apprentices into students, identical gears in the great machine of the almighty economy. Yeah, maybe, but I'd be willing to bet people were falling asleep in the pews during long sermons well before that, in the Middle Ages, the same way they do now. I wonder if it's a personality issue sometimes, whether the people who are drawn to teaching and ministering have something in common, like maybe the enjoyment of their own voices. I know I do. I am recording a podcast, after all. Certainly, lecturing is easier than meeting with students one-on-one and doing the same problem sets over and over again. So if we have not optimized the educational system for learning, how would we go about doing that? First step would probably be some research on how children actually do learn. On the blog yesterday, I mentioned the late Paul Shepard. In his book, Nature and Madness, which I found at a used bookstore this summer, He says that the obsessive naming and comparing and categorizing that any parent of a grade school sports fan would recognize is perfectly normal, and that evolutionarily, in our distant past, it would have been applied to making sense of nature, our physical and social environments. It's not experimental research, but it makes a lot of anecdotal sense. My colleague and fellow Kentuckian Allison Walker describes this stage in her daughter. We went to the um, to Discovery Place in Charlotte and they had a, a room about wild animals and all these hands-on science projects and things and she got to use a dichotomous key and and so she thought that was fascinating and then they had a table of all the little toy uh, animals and she was supposed to classify them, find their characteristics that they had in common and take all 100 of them and set up categories for them. And 
we, she wanted to do it over and over, you know, then you'd dump them back in and let the next person do it. And she was, you know, looking at the different, well, this is a different species of fish, but they're all fish, so all the fish are going over here, but these go here. And, okay, here, here are the whales and the dolphins and their mammals, so, so they can go near the sharks, but they're a different thing. These are the mammals. These are the on-the-land mammals. And, I mean, she was obs obsessed with making sure all of her categories were, were rational and logical and that they fit in her mind what defined the differences and the similarities between them and I would you know it was just this one activity and, and she would have sat there for an hour if we hadn't dragged her to the next thing okay so the fact that my son can remember all three life stages for like 150 Pokemon but can't remember to put his dishes in the sink is normal well, that's a very interesting idea there definitely are critical periods for things like learning languages. Neuroscience knows quite a lot about that one. It's not that you can't learn languages after the window closes. It's that learning during the critical period seems so effortless. We learn thousands of words when we're little. Why do we only start foreign language classes in high school after puberty has pretty much closed that window? Wouldn't it make more sense to just let five-year-olds soak it up? And don't even get me started on sign language for babies. But I digress. We've got a long way to go on a real science of education. But at least people are experimenting. Again, Allison Walker describing her daughter's experience at a Montessori school. Yeah, I heard the word empowerment there a bunch of times too. That's code for hippie. Like the phrases herbal tea and barefoot running. Don't let that fool you. Allison starts and ends her writing classes on the hour. I've seen her do it. There's no work cycle for college students. Well, in, in her classroom, they say, you know, she has to complete her own work cycle. You can't interrupt that work cycle. So if she, if she wants to spend two hours doing one particular work, that's her. She has the power to, to dictate her, her time in the classroom. So if they have some larger activity or it's lunchtime, she leaves her work where it is. She puts her name tag on it. No one touches it. She can leave it over a weekend, over a holiday, and come back, and it's still there. So she can see it through to the end, which is something I've had to really... Um, I've struggled with at home because, you know, you know, you, you have a schedule and at some point you have to say, no, you can't, you know, continue this. We've got to go do this instead. We're, we're late for this. And so I've had to step back and give her those moments and accept that maybe we're going to be late every now and then. Or maybe I need to not clean up the house and leave that what looks like a mess to me, her work there, until she's satisfied with, with the conclusion that she reaches and she's willing to put it away. And it's empowering to her, and it's empowering to those children. Yeah, I heard the word empowerment there a bunch of times, too. That's code for hippie. Like the phrases herbal tea and barefoot running. Don't let that fool you. Allison starts and ends her writing classes on the hour. I've seen her do it. There's no work cycle for college students. But that situation can't last forever. One of the major ideas of evolutionary science is that nothing lasts forever. I don't know. Maybe online education will be the change agent. I read an article about Stanford last week where they're flipping the model upside down by lecturing online and doing homework in the classroom. Maybe, like in many other industries, technology will be the cleansing fire that temporarily destroys all the monopolies. Ecology calls them monocultures, and they're rarely healthy. 
Yellowstone National Park was certainly more diverse after it burned, although I'm told it was an unpleasant experience for everyone involved. What was that, 15 years ago now? Call me crazy, but I'm optimistic, despite all the smoke and thunder that surrounds issues like school choice and high-stakes testing and budget cuts. Don't get me wrong, I know how bad it is in some places. My nephew Matt, who you met two weeks ago, was sleeping through his classes and still passing them, which is just wrong. He's managed to pull the old up and out by landing a free ride at a math and science academy, but that doesn't much help all the kids who are still there. So yes, I'm optimistic, but really only in the long term. The short term's probably going to suck. We'll return to the long view next week when I drag out some tape with my old buddy Hager from my summer vacation in Seattle. In which he will say... VSI is produced by me, Randall Hayes, at North Carolina Agricultural and Technical State University with support from the National Science Foundation. Thanks to Lauren Branch for editing the Walker interview, and thanks to you for listening.